This is Belize from UCLA Radio, and you're listening to The Menu. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to The Menu on UCLAradio.com. This is your host, Belize, and we have a very special guest with us today. Um, Kay Valen is the Beverage Program Director of Cosmet. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for coming. So we're going to be talking about um, natural wine and um, being the beverage director and um, everything related to the industry um, today. So to start off, I always ask this question um, to my guests. Um, what did you have this week? It could be a drink. It could be a food that you really enjoyed this week. Oh, um, I mean, we have a, a great chef de cuisine at Kismet. His name's Trevor Webb, and he's Hawaiian and often cooks like Japanese or Hawaiian-inspired family meals. And yesterday he made a pretty delicious kind of like rustic rice and egg dish. Um, mm-hmm. with lots of like yuzu kosho and things like that. That was, that was pretty satisfying. Yeah, that sounds yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. Honestly, like the a lot of the times, the best things I eat in the week are, are our family meals. <laughs> yeah, um, I I went to Night Plus Market. I brought my mom and my little brother to Night oh, Plus yeah. Market mm-hmm. for the first time because they were visiting me, and I had the vegan pad thai, which is I think one of my favorite dishes there, and um, I also drank a glass of Cabernet Franc. Which, oh, nice! Yeah. Do you remember who made it? No, it only said Cabernet Franc on the oh, okay. menu. Um, Maybe they had so, like a house, yeah. house special or something. Probably, but it was very light and, you know, Easy a little drink. sour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice with that food. They do a nice job over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Sarah. <laughs> um, so a lot of people, um, to start off, like a lot of people have um, several like misconceptions about natural wine. Sure. Um, how would you describe it? Um, well, I mean, one thing that I think I'm starting to talk to people more about is how it's not a style. Um, I think that's something important to recognize. I think a lot of people associate natural wine with, um, kind of the extremes, but really, you know, natural wine is just wine pre-industrialized farming, um, and pre- a lot of the chemicals that were developed and introduced in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, before the second half of the last century, this was just how wine was made. Um, but to kind of simplify it, basically nothing added, nothing taken away. That's something that people like to, uh, like a nice, sim- simple way to explain it. Um, but, you know, to kind of go into a little bit more detail, um, it kind of, it starts with farming and, you know, Wine is an agricultural product, which is, I think, something that people forget. Um, And when you're making wine with a sort of more um, traditional or natural approach, uh, the idea is to let nature kind of do its thing, which is not to say that you're not farming. I mean, obviously, that's a Mm -hmm. human intervention. But, um, you know, you're not um, adding a bunch of pesticides, um, synthetic chemicals, things like that. No one's in a hazmat suit spraying the vines mm-hmm. to keep the keep the pus- pests away. Um, and then in the cellar, um, 
you are also not adding chemicals. So there's there's all kinds of stuff that people put in conventional wine. And um, it's more than just like sugar and different like acidifiers and things like that. There's like dyes and um, powdered tannins and all of these things. And, and that's not included in natural wine. Why do you think that was the way it was in the first place? Um, I mean, part of partially just because the chemicals did not exist. Um, but mm-hmm. also I think... Um, you know, if you think about a place like the Loire Valley, which is a region in the northwestern uh, part of France that um, follows the Loire River, it's um, it's a huge agricultural center. So it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like if you think about it, like the central valley of, of France, like it's it's the bread baskets where mm-hmm. a lot of food comes from. Um, and so wine growing there was part and parcel of kind of a more... Um, you know, polycultural approach, like, mm-hmm. like, um, in term, you know, growing not just grapes, but um, having livestock and um, growing different types of orchard, um, like orchard fruit and things like that, um, which, you know, kind of contributes to a healthier soil, um, like a more diverse ecosystem that kind of checks itself. Um, you know, you have livestock that provides natural compost. Mm-hmm. Um, and helps to like keep the soil healthy, not just with their natural compost, <laughs> but but with uh, you know eating the cover crops and kind of stomping the soil and mm-hmm. doing all these things that um, kind of allow you to do a little bit less um, as a farmer. But you know it's it's a little bit it's complicated. You're, you're doing less, but it also requires a lot more kind of mm. patience and um, and you know capacity for risk and things like that. That's yeah, that's definitely interesting. And how did you get into it? Um, I I kind of lucked out. I mean, I I was putting I mean, I was I was working in restaurants in school um, and I was studying to to write, to do like critical writing. Um, And I ended up at this place called Issa, um, which is since closed, but um, was a restaurant in Brooklyn uh, and the, the beverage director at the time. Um, Byron Bates, who's now a wine importer, um, Goat Boy Selections, he had a list that was all sansouf, uh, all made without sulfur. So sulfur is a preservative um, for folks who don't know, mm-hmm. and it's something that a lot of like hardcore natty people are, are not <laughs> not about, um, or at least if you do it, it's in very small amounts. Um, so he had a list that was all wines that were made without any kind of sulfur at all, and that was my first exposure to um, mm. this kind of wine. Um, I didn't have any background in it, but it was something that I was really energized by at the time. And then I, um, after I worked there, I was at a place called Diner, um, just a couple blocks away, actually. Um, and Lee Campbell was the beverage director at the time, and she was super education focused. Same thing with our GM, John Connolly. He was a, like a huge mentor to me where where it came to like really understanding um, wine in a more holistic way, like kind of going mm-hmm. back to the processes we were just talking about and the things that distinguish it from um, conventional wine. He really kind of introduced a lot of those concepts to me in a way that um, made it feel to me like bigger than just enjoying a glass of wine. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, it's just been kind of a pretty organic uh, for lack of a better <laughs> word, um, process. I uh, I moved here to LA um, about four years ago now, um, and I was working with Helen Johannesson at 
John and Vinny's. Um, I thought when I moved here I didn't want to be in restaurants anymore, but um, ended up going back because I love food and I love wine. Um, and so she kind of, working with her program, kind of reignited my interest in wanting to um, work more directly with wine. And when, a, when an opportunity to work at Kismet and take over the wine program came up, I was really excited to do it. Yeah, and um, taking over that wine program, what was like one of your goals? What did you? Um, that's a yeah. good question. Um, I mean, I was really green at the time. I knew what kind of wine I liked to drink, um, but you know, sharing that with people is is a whole other element. You know, mm-hmm. like um, one thing that was a huge goal for me was to make something that um, can be really unfamiliar or intimidating, you know, something that people have a lot of associations with, like, uh, you know, a white dude in a suit with, like, Mm -hmm. a little pin um, telling them, you know, how to drink something and what to expect from it and kind of these prescriptive things Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to give people the opportunity to um, drink wine and be exposed to new types of wine and maybe new things that they might enjoy um, in a way that feels a little bit less intimidating and a little bit more approachable, accessible. I mean, I'm kind of saying the same thing um, over and over again. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, essentially trying to make people comfortable with something mm-hmm. that people often associate um, maybe more negative feelings with or mm-hmm. feeling, like, kind of stressed out about. Yeah, and um, do you think there were, like, what were the challenges that um, came with, you know, having that um, responsibility or role? Um, I mean, people have a lot of preconceptions about wine in general and mm-hmm. what they think they like. And um, <laughs> it, no, it's, I mean, it sounds, I, you know, it's funny because a lot of people say the exact same thing, which is that they want something dry. They don't want something sweet, which is the same thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but aside from that, they don't have a lot of vocabulary where it comes to asking for what they really want. Mm-hmm. Um and oftentimes a conversation that will start with those same statements from people that they want something dry, they don't want something sweet can end in um, them drinking like a pretty ripe Shannon that I wouldn't describe as sweet, but is definitely mm-hmm. not the like dry minerally muscadet that maybe they or like Sancerre or something like that, mm-hmm. that um, they might be looking for on a list and only ordering. You know, it's like part of my goal is always to um, show people a new experience and maybe help them take that experience to the next time they're at a wine shop or a restaurant mm-hmm. and maybe they'll approach things a little bit more openly. Um, but honestly, you know, we're, we're in such a special time in, uh, in LA right now. And, and honestly, the market nationally is, is um, this way too, where there's just a lot of enthusiasm. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, it's not so hard. It's yeah. not so hard to get people to <laughs> drink some wine. Yeah. yeah. Um, even like among my friends, I feel like we're more interested in, um, wine now and the different types of wines, mm-hmm. like grapes that we like. We just like talk about that all the time. Cool. That's awesome. Um, That's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, especially like, com- you know, when you look at U.S. college culture. Yeah. Oh, It for seems sure. a little bit more like, oh, let's drink to get drunk. Right. But yeah. I also like see it ever since I moved here that it's kind of like changing mm-hmm. as we grow up, um, which I quite like. <laughs> no, that's great to hear. I mean, when I was going to college, um, which wasn't that long ago, but uh, this was definitely before 
things have kind of blown up the way that they mm-hmm. have with natural wine. Um, people, yeah, people were drinking garbage to, to get drunk for sure. Um, and it wasn't until I started working in restaurants that I really like appreciated wine. Like I, I didn't come from, it's not like I, you know, I didn't come out of the womb um, mm-hmm. understanding a lot of this stuff. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool to hear that, that people are starting mm-hmm. to think about that a little bit more, um, in college too. That's awesome. Um, cause yeah, I mean, if we're thinking about what we're putting in our body in terms of like, you know, farmer's market produce and stuff like that. We should mm-hmm. be thinking about that just as much with, I mean, even more so, honestly, with something like drinking. Yeah. Um, it's already a neurotoxin, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> um, I mean, you know, in small amounts, it's fine. I heard someone refer to it as microdosing wine recently. I think it was in like a New Yorker oh. article about natural wine recently. Um, someone was like microdosing. I'm like, we don't know. I think we need to talk about it like this, but it was really <laughs> funny. I was like, this is interesting. Yeah, um, I also read, I don't know if it was New York Times, but I, I also read about a sommelier who um, is re- recovering from alcoholism. That's why they don't drink um, Oh, wine, I didn't read that. But ev- even though they are a master of wine, they don't drink it. They just taste and spit it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can definitely do it that way. I, um, I think that, you know, well, whatever. I mean, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's different. I, I mm-hmm. personally, um, I think that, Drinking the wine is an important part of the process for me. I mm-hmm. wouldn't say that that's, I mean, obviously if someone's in recovery, that's a different situation. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, it is, it's more than just how it tastes. It, you know, especially with natural wine, it does make you feel like there's, there's wines that have like a certain energy mm-hmm. that give you, give you energy in different ways. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. going off of that, how do you think the image of, um, natural wine has changed ever since you started? Um, I mean, it used to be just like, um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it hasn't changed that much. Uh, the mm-hmm. the, um, the crowd is definitely similar but bigger, I would say. You know, it's pretty dominated by, um, like, older white guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think L.A. is a really nice exception to that. I mean, I most of the people who I work with, most of the people who I'm tasting with, like in terms of, you know, reps and uh, importers, uh, a lot of wine shop owners, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, women or, um, you know, LGBT people, which is mm-hmm. cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty dominated by a certain demographic for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that has changed is, is the way that consumers people who aren't in the industry are thinking about it and talking about it I think that would be the main the main difference to me mm-hmm. and um, and there are also a lot of like um, prejudgments or like preconceived notions about natural wine like yeah it's like mm-hmm. better for you or it doesn't I read that somewhere that it doesn't give you hangovers I mean that's how much <laughs> yeah, how much of that is actually true I mean it's like you know like we were saying earlier it's still it's still alcohol. It's still, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, they're they're definitely for the most part a lot lower in alcohol than something like a conventional Napa Cab at like fifteen ABV, like alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have something like most natural wine is is lower than that. Um, it's like an average of twelve percent. There's definitely exceptions. There's definitely some like high octane natural wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one thing. I feel like maybe that's why a lot of people associate it with that. And then. I mean, definitely the hangover is not as bad. You know, you're mm-hmm. not consuming a bunch of additives when you're drinking mm-hmm. natural wine or at least, um, you know, 
wine that's truly truly made without any kind of additions because there are some like there's some mm-hmm. you know we, uh, one of my um, you know friends and mentors refers to it as natural enough there's there's <laughs> definitely like this kind of in between where people are noticing that there's a huge market for this mm-hmm. and some wine that's maybe not quite as rigorous as is being categorized that way mm-hmm. and so some of that wine might give you more of a hangover <laughs> um but but yeah i mean for the most part it's definitely i mean you can drink a lot more of it and feel a lot better the next day mm-hmm. than, than with conventional wine for sure but it's it's not like you won't get drunk and it's not like you won't get a hangover <laughs> it definitely happens yeah and um i want to go back to your work at kismet for a second yeah um so you do something called natural wine work days mm-hmm. could you tell us more about that yeah totally um well, so one thing, kind of going back to the accessibility conversation, um, mm-hmm. wine's expensive uh, for for most people. Um, even retail, you know, something over twenty bucks can feel like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that you know we've tried to do at Kismet is give people an opportunity to drink some of the wines from our bottle list um, at a really accessible price point. So um, during the weekdays, we do uh, ten dollar glasses from 12 to 6, and I do, like, a little selection. Usually it's new releases from one producer because I like to kind of show showcase the different dimensions of, of mm-hmm. one producer, or it'll be, like, a couple producers who are all related to each other in some way, like mentors um, or, you know, part of the same community. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of a nice way for people to get a chance to try stuff that we don't normally have open um, at a really at a, you know, a nice price point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think um, that um, problem with accessibility comes from, like, the production of wine, that it's, you know, expensive to produce it, or is just that because it's seen as more of a, you know, high-end product? Um, I think it depends on the producer and the market mm-hmm. um, that we're talking about. But overall, I mean, I think that most wine, I mean, Tariffs aside, because there's some new, mm-hmm. new Airbus tariffs. <laughs> Yay, Trump. Uh. Um, yeah, wine wine from a couple different European countries, um, France, Spain, and a couple others, um, went up 25% because oh. of new tariffs. But anyway, um, aside from that, I think wine is pretty well-priced. Mm-hmm. Um, natural wine, anyway, because, you know, it's like if you think about it, I use this analogy a lot. It's like if you think about, like, a $2 avocado, Mm-hmm. You know, definitely not to put down the work that goes into growing and picking an avocado, but that's where the process ends. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're you grow grapes, you pick them, you press the fruit, it ferments for a while. You you have to do all kinds of things like, um, uh, well, you don't have to, but there are lots of different things that you can do in that process where, uh, while it's fermenting, um, that t- it's quite labor intensive. Um, and then bottling, just the space, um, you know, buying bottles, all these things. There's all these steps in the production that, you know, end up with something that at cost is, you know, not insanely expensive. I think mm-hmm. what it comes down to a lot of times is people's markups. Um, I mean, you do, I mean, obviously you don't want to, like you're, you sell wine to, to make money, but, mm-hmm. um, but there are some folks who, We'll mark up wines quite a bit, and other times, you know, people won't. And it's, yeah, it, it really it, it does end up kind of being about that last step. Mm-hmm. The, the importers obviously put um, a little bit of markup on there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, 
takes there's a lot of steps to, mm-hmm. to get to your glass and and I think that for the most part wine is is priced appropriately yeah that's yeah that's good to know because yeah. there's also that you know um thought sometimes with people you know yeah I mean there's certainly exceptions to that mm-hmm. I mean the you know like I said it, I think it really depends on the producer and the restaurant you're drink, you're drinking in or the or the mm-hmm. wine shop you're buying from depends on a lot of different factors but yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's, like, sw- yeah. swindling anybody. <laughs> yeah. And while you were um, doing the menu, mm-hmm. um, how did you kind of, um, you know, tie the wine menu with the food menu? Because yeah. Matt's menu draws a lot of inspiration from, you know, Mediterranean, Mediterranean mm-hmm. and Middle Eastern cuisine. So what what did you consider when doing that? Yeah, I mean, our food's really fun to work with because um, it's all pretty produce-driven, you know, it's like mm-hmm. light in that respect, but there's also a lot of pretty like fatty elements. So it's that that combination of things. I mean, I generally gravitate towards wines with a little bit more acidity, whites that tend to be like a little more structured or like a skin contact wine, mm-hmm. um, and lighter reds. That tends to be kind of like our sweet spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a wine bar, so definitely the food is kind of the main thing that I'm thinking about when when choosing wines. I mean, along with just sort of trying to balance what works best with our food and also what people ask for. So there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of factors that go into it, but um, with the food specifically, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to, to kind mm-hmm. of think about wines that will go with every part of the meal. Cause a lot of times, I mean, that's, that's what people want is like one bottle for their meal. And, mm-hmm. and so having something that will kind of work all along the way is, is important. Mm-hmm. And um, you also talked about um, working at Helen's mm-hmm. and, you know, John Vinny's um, has Helen's and their wine program and mm-hmm. you have your wine program at Kuzmet. Do you see that trend of like um, combining, you know, a food program with a wine program in the future for um, other restaurants? Um, you mean like a store, like having a store inside a restaurant? Um, not just a store, but having that same like importance and that, you know, same attention given to, you know, um, wines as much as the food? Oh, Because um, sometimes you see it's just kind of like a menu. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I think, I think there's always been a tradition of that, but mm-hmm. there's definitely places where you go to and it feels like an afterthought for sure, the, the wine list. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, I think that more and more places are being more thoughtful about their wine. I mean, Again, I think it kind of depends on the market. In in New York, there's always been lots of places. Um, you know, they were they were definitely on the the front edge mm-hmm. of of um, when natural wine started to come back into restaurants, um, like in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, and there were a lot of thoughtful folks at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's it's all about you know people asking for it too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right now it feels like a lot of a lot of people who are going out um, to eat also want to have a special wine experience. And so the more that people are asking for that, the, I think the more attention is going to be paid to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I kind of want to talk about um, a couple of, I guess, struggles or problems within the wine industry. Sure. We talked a little bit about accessibility, mm-hmm. but recently um, sexual harassment and assault has been a big issue. Yeah. And... I've 
I've also read recently the New York Times article about mm-hmm. Anton Kalin yeah. and the people that came forward. And even though that happened in New York, it um, also started this conversation in Los right. Angeles as well. Yeah. And yeah, what what do you think about that, first of all? Um, I mean, you know, like with any industry, there's definitely been kind of a reckoning, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. I think that the fact that the wine industry in particular involves people drinking um, mm-hmm. definitely makes it a little bit more of a powder keg. And that's something that I've been aware of, you know, bef- long before, I mean, that, that everyone's been aware of long before mm-hmm. any of this started coming out. Because um, it's, it's not just, you know, like when you're working for someone, that's one thing. But also, you know, sometimes winemakers are coming from, uh, from, you know, out of town <laughs> and uh, and there's different cultural norms and mm-hmm. um, a lot of kind of sticking points there. And then again, like when you add alcohol into the mix, it can be um, it can. Yeah, there's I've definitely been in my share of uncomfortable situations. Um, but I think that in terms of like what I think about it, um, I think that the most important thing right now is that the conversation keeps going and it doesn't necessarily have to be like everybody, you know, having a round table about it um, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. But I think what really is important is when you're in a situation where people are drinking and it's a semi-professional situation because sometimes it's outside of work. Sometimes it's like, you know, you're, you get the chance to taste some wines at someone's house or at a mm-hmm. tasting or something like that. And it's outside of like the structure of, mm-hmm. of a workplace it's so important um, that people, especially men, um, pay attention to what's going on around them, mm-hmm. say something. If someone seems uncomfortable, check in on them. I mean, there's, there's, it's pretty easy to, to take mm-hmm. care of people and to, to take care of your community. And I've been lucky enough to be in situations where, um, you know, someone kind of bailed me out and, um, and, then another friend who was also at that party reached out to me the next day. Like, you know, there's there are ways to make someone feel taken care of and safe. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. Um, there are other situations like those described in the New York Times article where, you know, there aren't a bunch of people around. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, it's I don't think that it's on women or, or, you know, non-binary people or just not, not dudes <laughs> to, um, to, to, you know, keep themselves safe or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think that that's really the, the way forward. So I think that ultimately, um, you know, calling people out and, and, you know, blacklisting people where necessary, I think is fully appropriate and fully mm-hmm. needs to happen if, if someone's repeatedly or even, even once, you know, making someone feel uncomfortable or, you know, in a in a in a way that goes beyond just like, hey, you know, you're yeah. nice today. <laughs> it's not like people can't compliment people, but you mm-hmm. know, if someone's giving you like a wet kiss about like a centimeter from your mouth, it's probably probably not welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, do you think it's um, it's because of you know the the product that you're dealing with is you know alcoholic? So do you think that culture kind of um, happens because of the product or maybe that's a wrong way to say it because you know there's a lot of yeah 
I mean, th- there's a lot of um, harassment and assault in like the regular food yeah. issue as well. But do you think that's like maybe one part of it that enables people to like, I guess, excuses the behavior yeah. or something? Yeah, I mean, but you know, you have to be pretty tanked to mm-hmm. to not know what you're doing. Yeah, um, and I think if someone's getting that inebriated, um, that's probably a problem to address in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really, it's the same thing that's happening in so many industries. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's a part of, um, our culture. I mean, it's especially in the U S there's like a really, there's a specific culture here, mm-hmm. um, that kind of, uh, you know, gets a lot of its power from people's silence. And I think that, you know, I was talking to um, a friend of mine who is French, who now lives in the States and Mm -hmm. works in this industry as well. And she was saying that, you know, in France, obviously there's like a reputation of men being more lecherous, but there's also like kind of a cultural understanding that women have a little bit of power in that situation Mm -hmm. um, to just basically say like, grew off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's, I mean, according to her and, and, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to be like an expert in French culture, or anything, <laughs> but according to her, that's, that's often the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think if it is, there's some cultural specificity to it too. I think it's important to recognize mm-hmm. that like people coming from foreign countries have a different understanding of like what's permissible, mm-hmm. how they're going to like what kind of reactions they're going to get. I think it's it's complicated um, in wine specifically because of those factors. You know, you have mm-hmm. like, yeah, cultural differences, alcohol, and then just regular old toxic masculinity. It's like that. It's a pretty potent combination. Mm-hmm. And um, I was also listening to QCRW's Good Food episode oh, about, uh-huh. about this issue. Yeah. And one of the things Evan Kleiman talked about was the um, underage drinking or like the 21 age um, drinking age in the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think that has a role in? Because you also talked about the cultural differences. So do you yeah. think that age limit is kind of part of the cultural it, aspect? It could be. I mean, I think it's, it's yeah, it's certainly a cocktail of things, and that probably mm-hmm. has something to do with it. I mean, it's like we were yeah. talking about earlier. A lot of people in the U.S., when they first start drinking, they do it to get drunk. They've never been able to do it before it becomes this thing where you maybe associate drinking with those feelings or with Mm -hmm. that goal as opposed to, you know, what I drink wine for, which is to connect with people and um, often with food. Like, it just Mm -hmm. makes life a little bit more enjoyable. I mean, that's why I like to drink, um, Mm -hmm. to kind of make it really simple. (laughs) But, but, you know, when a lot of people have these habits that they build, um, even if they leave the vodka behind or whatever mm-hmm. it is like Malibu or something. <laughs> so, um, uh, maybe that's still kind of ingrained a little bit, like mm-hmm. the approach and the, you know, drinking until you're like truly hammered as opposed to just enjoying what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah. I completely, in, being in yeah. the moment. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying because, yeah. um, I'm actually from Turkey oh, and cool. like we start drinking with family around like 16, mm-hmm. 17. So we kind of find it as a way to like, you know, socialize and like like you said, connect mm-hmm. around food and the table, you know. Yeah. So it was a little surprising when I came to U.S. and mm-hmm. um, saw that it, it was a different culture. Um, not that I'm, you know, saying that 
Turkish people are better than, at no, drinking but, alcohol <laughs> than Americans, but um, but the yeah. U.S. definitely has like a specific approach to, I mean, a lot of things, but but drinking for sure, mm-hmm. and sort of like this, um, you know, lock and key approach with yeah. kids as opposed to, you know, like introducing them a little bit younger so that it's not like this forbidden fruit situation where people are just like so eager to to get mm-hmm. to get to, yeah to get drunk <laughs> and not really thinking about the other ways that you can approach mm-hmm. alcohol i mean it can it can be a really special you know connective experience to drink with people or it mm-hmm. can be really destructive yeah and do you see um do you now see a lot you know, we talked, you know, you talked about toxic masculinity, which is, you know, part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And do you see it, the industry becoming more um, diverse now? And For sure, yeah. You know, to combat that aspect? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. I, um, you know, again, like I was saying earlier, I think I, I can't speak to most other communities because I'm not in them. Mm-hmm. But in L.A., for sure, there's um, there's more and more diversity um, I think I would like to see more people of color um, in in the crowd. Um, it is a predominantly white industry for sure. Um, but I think that's changing too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of it is just about like taking notice of who's asking for more information and who's asking for support and mentorship and, um, you know, not just paying attention to the to the, all the men in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's, I think that's happening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, speaking of Los Angeles community, mm-hmm. um, when I have guests here, part of the struggles that they, um, face or the restaurant industry in Los Angeles face is that the prices are really high. Yeah. And, um, I was actually talking to Zach Brooks, um, the general manager at Smorgasburg, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he was saying that even though we have Michelin star chefs, they still can't earn enough money um, to, you know, compared to a Michelin star chef in San Francisco or New York. Sure. So, do you think that same struggle is present in the wine industry in Los Angeles? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I wonder, I'm, I'm curious what the thoughts were on San Francisco and New York specifically, like if there's some, well, I guess, okay, so so one thing that I would speak to is that I think that people in general on the consumer end are mm-hmm. used to paying less than, than the true cost of eating out um, mm-hmm. because of um, a lot of different factors, uh, one big one being that in many states, um, there's a tipped minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that restaurant owners can um, can basically put their labor costs on the consumer and pay quite a bit less uh, mm-hmm. for the hourly um, rates of their employees. Mm-hmm. And so the prices that are reflected on menus don't include labor in that in that. Um, in the equation. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that wages in general are lower. And, and in a state like California, and particularly a city like Los Angeles, um, where the minimum wage is very high, I feel like that's probably true for San Francisco, though, too. Mm. I don't know if they have a minimum wage there. But anyway, um, it means that restaurants are now 
having to pay quite a bit more, mm-hmm. um, you know, in in a sense, in a way that I think that in in a more ethical mm-hmm. way, like they have to they're paying their people mm-hmm. more. Um, yeah. But it does mean that the cost of dining out is going to go up for people. Um, and I think that that's something that people are struggling with. And it means that, you know, we're either going to see the price of food going up or more and more service charge uh, kind mm-hmm. of stuff added to, like, you've probably seen, like, you know, the health. Yeah. This is, like, the health charge for um, mm-hmm. for our employees or something like that. Um, all these different ways that restaurants are trying to kind of recoup in that way. But, yeah, I mean, the margins, particularly in a state where there is a higher minimum wage, can be really, really low um, mm-hmm. for restaurant owners. And I think it's unfortunately making it harder to open something that's, like, a mid-level, like somewhere in between fine dining and casual because mm-hmm. you're kind of stuck in that place where people have expectations of pricing. Mm-hmm. It's not like a prefix menu where you're spending like 250 bucks, but it's also not a burger where, you know, the mm-hmm. amount of people who are needed to prep and make all of that food um, and serve the food uh, is much lower. You know, you don't have quite mm-hmm. so many, you don't have the need for quite as much staff. So it's those those two models are a lot easier to work with right now. And unfortunately, I think that we're going to start to see more of that kind of mm-hmm. extreme and not quite as much in the middle, um, unless people kind of adjust their expectations of what it costs to really, like what it really costs to eat out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, um, for you personally, what do you think is one of the, I mean, we talked about, you know, some of the struggles, obviously, but what do you think some of are some of the struggles within California wine industry right now? Oh, I mean, um, California is tough for a lot of younger mm-hmm. winemakers. Um, we had uh, one visiting us last week, actually, Brent mm-hmm. Mayu. He's uh, he's a young guy up in Santa Cruz. Um, mm-hmm. And I was talking with him about the problems with sourcing fruit um, because, as you probably know, uh, property prices in, mm-hmm. in California are very high. So most of the time, people are buying fruit from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the struggles that I've heard not just from Brent, but from a lot of different winemakers is um, having relationships with farmers um, who you can trust. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times, um, if, especially when you're just starting out and you don't have these longstanding relationships, um, you might get, not like conned, but... Um, you know, you might end up buying fruit that was treated with more chemicals than you would like, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't, you don't have quite as much control over that process. So, uh, it means that it can be more expensive, um, to make wine domestically. It means that you might have to make compromises, um, or just not make wine if, if you really mm-hmm. don't want to make those compromises. Um, thankfully there are definitely, um, enough growers, uh, who are working organically and without sprays and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's definitely harder to find for a lot of folks, and I think it makes it adds like another layer of um, of kind of like risk and difficulty. It's not it's not the same as having like a vineyard in your backyard mm-hmm. or down the road that your family has had for generations. You know, it's a mm-hmm. different different situation. Yeah. So that seems to be a struggle for sure. Yeah. Also, did you have a training about wine before starting out, or was it just your experience, yeah, just my experience. I um, I just got really lucky working with the lists that I did and the people who made them, and mm-hmm. um, and you know, mentors along the way. Um, 
now especially, I mean, uh, I I feel like I'm still learning all the time, and I think I will for 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 a long time. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, the, that's one of the things that I love about wine is um, that it's kind of inexhaustible in terms of mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's always going to be someone who knows more than you do, and it's that's great. And, you know, there's there's always an opportunity to to kind of enrich whether it's like thinking about a different historical perspective. Um, you know, why are these grapes grown here? Oh, because of like some Habsburg situation. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's like there's there's a there's um there's a lot of different kind of avenues to get into mm-hmm. it. Like if you're like like a you know if you love maps, that's like mm-hmm. a great way to get into wine. <laughs> honestly, it's like there's mm-hmm. there's I don't know. It's it's cool. It's a I mean I'm I'm a huge nerd. Honestly. <laughs> Uh, so learning, learning is exciting to me, and and I'm happy that I'm in an industry where it's not just encouraged; it's, it's like a part of the game forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, now that we have you here, and n- a lot of our listeners are college students, mm-hmm. I had a few questions yeah, totally. catered to them. Um, first one being, if you know, I'm at a grocery store. Or, you know, a wine store. What, first, sh- what should I go First of all, don't for? buy wine at a grocery store. <laughs> don't do it. Because that's all going to be um, heavily dosed. Oh. <laughs> Highly manipulated wine. So, um, I mean, maybe 10 years from now or something like that. Who knows? But mm-hmm. um, but for now, definitely don't buy wine at a grocery store. Um, okay. What I would recommend is finding a wine shop that you trust. Um, this side of town... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm definitely more east east focused. Um, Domain LA is amazing. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit further east. She's like on on Melrose over by Fairfax mm. area. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jill Bernheimer, she has been um, in this game for a long time. She just celebrated her 10 year anniversary, um, and she has been working with Natural Wine the entire way. So mm-hmm. she's definitely someone to support, and probably pretty close to here. Um, you know, Helen's in Brentwood is a good spot. Um, and I like Hilo Liquors. Oh, I've never in been Culver there. City. They're a cute little shop, like cool. right across Pasta Sisters. Nice. Yeah. I don't know it, honestly. Um, but uh, actually, a lot of places will be on like caviar and stuff like that, too. So, mm. I mean, one of my favorites, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I should say some friends of mine, <laughs> um, uh, Psychic Wines. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Jarrett and Quinn Kimsey White do a great job over there. Um, and where else? Um, Lou is amazing. He's also a veteran. Uh, I don't know if he's on caviar though, but he's mm. he's, uh, <laughs> he's he's on uh, he's on Hillhurst and Franklin mm-hmm. in uh, Los Feliz. There's there's lots of great places. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say like a ton, but those would be kind of my that would be my short list probably. Okay. Oh, uh, Esther's. Esther's in oh. Santa Monica. That oh, place. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. She's great. Mm-hmm. I'm not Esther, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> person buying the wine there. Um, and in terms of like grapes and stuff, what do you mm-hmm. think, you know, what's your favorite or like what do you think, you know, students or, who are looking for something cheaper should go for? Sure. I mean, I think rather than talking about grapes, mm-hmm. um, region is a great way mm-hmm. to approach stuff because mm-hmm. A, you know, Grapes kind of, I mean, it varies, but most of the time they kind of take the shape of the hand that holds it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's, um, you might have a Chenin in Vouvray that's like extremely ripe and, um, 
you know, like almost viscous, like it's mm -hmm. a little bit richer. And then you have something like right across the river in Mont-Louis that's going to be like a little bit more acid driven and kind of mineral driven. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of finding a place that you like. I mean, the Loire is a great place to start. That's where both of those places I was just mentioning is. It's a, the, that long mm -hmm. river that we were talking about earlier. Um, a lot of really well-priced wine comes out of the Loire, um, partially because it's like kind of a rustic like farming belt. Um, mm -hmm. And also people make a good amount of wine there. So I think that probably brings the price down too. Um, so looking for like a nice Loire Valley Gamay um, or, you know, Shannon's one of my favorites. There's some lesser known varietals like Pinot Denis. Um, that's a really tasty kind of like peppery mm -hmm. herbaceous red that I really like. Um, and then, you know, just, just kind of like finding a place and getting like digging deeper into it, like finding mm -hmm. out what the traditions are there. That can be like a really cool way of kind of deepening your knowledge. Um, Alsace is definitely one of my favorite regions that's in northern France. Mm -hmm. um, they make a lot of really interesting white wine. Um, not so much red. There's some really delicious pinots that come out of there, but it's mostly like kind of crazy, um, you know, Riesling, Sylvaner, mm -hmm. um, some richer stuff, some leaner stuff. Um, plenty of dry Riesling. I also want to <laughs> not scare anybody. <laughs> but but also don't be scared of sweet wine in general. There's mm -hmm. there's a time and a place. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, asking a wine shop um, steward, mm -hmm. uh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not super familiar with wine, um, but I'd like to be more familiar. Is there something at like X price point that you would recommend for someone who's just kind of getting into it? Mm -hmm. You know, like ask questions. These people yeah. are... That's why they're there, <laughs> because they're excited to talk about wine with people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that would be that would be one thing I would pass along um, to any young consumer is to ask questions and mm -hmm. to be open, you know, not to, you know, those that what we we're kind of talking about earlier, like those preconceptions of um, of what you like, maybe mm -hmm. kind of try to leave those behind a little bit sometimes and just be more open. I mean low risk mm -hmm. investment you know <laughs> like if, if you don't like a wine it's not really the end of the world and mm -hmm. especially if you're um there, there's plenty of options at, at like 20 and under that mm -hmm. can kind of be nice you know exploratory grounds for people you know you just ask ask questions yeah yeah mm. yeah that's that's good to know that's very comforting yeah <laughs> i mean that's that's my approach mm -hmm. to this stuff in general is to really just let people feel comfortable to ask questions and to not know things because that's where everybody's mm -hmm. at at some point. It's it's important to to let people feel like there isn't because there isn't a wrong answer. It is it's a very mm -hmm. subjective thing. It's like if you don't like something, you don't have to like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like um, just don't order that type of thing again. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that that initial openness is really important. Mm -hmm. And before I move on to our last question, we have a question from one of our guests. Yeah, totally. Um, it's a long guest name, so I'm not going to read it. But <laughs> they, they're asking, can natural wine be aged? Yeah, totally. Um, so aging wine doesn't have to do with the preservatives in it. Um, mm -hmm. So generally, like the, the rule of thumb that I've heard from people is that 
you want to look for a wine that has some degree of tannic structure, mm-hmm. um, some degree of acidity or both. Um, higher higher alcohol helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but those kind of three factors and sugar actually, um, those three factors lend um, lend themselves to to wine that will age well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I share a little um, little icebox with with some friends mm-hmm. um and there's it's all natural wine and we're all planning on sitting on it for a minute so <laughs> yeah you can you can definitely age wine i mean uh, mm-hmm. natural wine rather um but uh yeah i mean again ask if you're if you're at a wine shop and you're like hey i want to lay something down for a minute and i'm mm-hmm. interested in you know x style or you know um it's it's yeah Ask, ask questions. But, yeah, you can definitely age natural wine. It's just mm-hmm. about, like, the structure of it. Um, you can't just put, like, some – basically, one actually, one good rule of thumb is if it's in a clear bottle, don't age it. That's mm. kind of like a mm-hmm. good rule of thumb. Like, if it's in a clear bottle, it's something you should probably drink pretty quickly. Mm. Um, if it's dark glass and it's got some tannins and maybe a mm-hmm. little acidity, you're probably in good shape. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Um, our last question mm-hmm. is – do you have any suggestions for young people starting out in the wine industry or any, you know, words of wisdom, any guidance that you want to pass along? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, kind of, I feel like a broken record, but, um, you know, finding a place that you trust, whether it's a handful of restaurants, um, a wine shop, and asking questions, um, mm-hmm. again, like, you know, myself included, always really excited and happy to talk to people, mm-hmm. um, especially young people who want to know more. Um, so, you know, use the resources, uh, especially here in Los Angeles. There are so many places. Um, again, I, I know mostly more east side places, but, uh, but you know, like Barbandini is great. Um, come to Kismet. <laughs> Go to any of the wine shops we were mentioning earlier. Uh, and just start digging. Um, mm-hmm. Working in restaurants is also, I mean, that that's how I got my education. And mm-hmm. I think that it's a really nice way of doing it. Because um, when you work in a restaurant, um, you get the opportunity to taste lots of things all the time, which I think is, is important. Mm-hmm. You know, you get kind of a vocabulary that way. Um, and you're also, hopefully, uh, working alongside or under somebody who um, is putting a list together thoughtfully. And we'll have plenty to tell you about it as well mm-hmm. yeah. yeah well thank you for coming yeah, to UCL Radio today and having a chat with me um, yeah um, you, uh, the venue will be back next Tuesday at 11am um, on UCLRadio.com thank you everyone for listening do you want to say bye to our listeners yeah thank you guys <laughs> thanks for listening Yeah, thank you, and see you all next week.